All right. There we go. Uh, you can be seated. Bless you. What a privilege to baptize anybody. I want to encourage you about water baptism. Of course, obviously, we, we believe in that big time. And uh, not teaching on that today. But water baptism is more than just some ritual. And it surely is not some ritual without uh, life and meaning. And to me, it's a prophetic uh, thing. Jesus was baptized. A lot of people, they associate water baptism with sin, uh, removal and so forth. And uh, uh, Jesus got baptized in water, and he had no sin. Uh, so it's much, much more than that. Uh, I believe uh, when Jesus was baptized by John, uh, he was identifying with the human condition. And uh, and he was immersed or baptized into the to that humanity. Of course, wonderful things happened. Uh, heavens were opened. Can I tell you, they've been open ever since. Um, they heard God speak audibly. The Holy Spirit descended in a bodily form. And, and I love this part. In the scripture it says, and remained. How I many know the Holy Spirit hadn't gone anywhere? He has remained. And he's not only with you, but he's in you. And uh, to me, I always love to see the pictorial uh, typology in scripture that when the children of Israel were being led out of Egyptian bondage, um, what was it that finally set them free from their past and being pursued by uh, that that wanted to take them back into bondage, and that was Pharaoh and his armies, it was water baptism. In other words, they went through the Red Sea. I mean, those the Red Sea came upon uh, Pharaoh and all of his soldiers, and they were, they were, that was eliminated uh, from the life of the Hebrews. That was not chasing them anymore. And I have seen people to get water baptized and with the and in, in, in their heart as they they immerse themselves into that prophetic act, if you will, of water baptism, that past does not trail them no more. Can you say amen to that? Uh, today I want to talk to you, and I just titled this uh, "It's Hard to Wait Upon the Promises of God." How many's ever waited for anything? Let me see your hand. That's like the death thing. That's 100%, right? Uh, how many has ever waited on anyone? How many is the one you were waiting on is you're sitting besides? <laughs> when Jill and I, we've been married for a long time now, 43 plus years. And uh, when I was first married and I was a young husband, sometimes I would have to wait on her. To go to church, I was, uh, in our, it wasn't too long after our early years, I was an evangelist. We traveled uh, for six years and preached everywhere, and it seemed like we were always running late to get out of the house. And of course, she had three kids uh, to get ready while her husband was doing those last-minute prayer and hanging out with God to get to the meetings, revivals, or whatever. I remember one time we was uh, in, uh, went to a church, if you know where West Green uh, is, outside of Douglas over there, and we were running late, and, uh, and what I was going to tell you, I, when I was a young husband, I'd, sometimes I'd get in the truck, you know, and I would beep the horn to just emphasize my 
need to let's get going here. And I learned real quick that that doesn't, uh, that's not the good thing to do. So I don't beep the horn. I haven't in many years. I'm a wise husband now. And so I just patiently wait. And uh, most of the time. Uh, but I remember we were running so late that day. And, uh, my, you know, she's, we got three small kids. And I don't know how old Austin. He was two, three years old. He was totable. Uh, my youngest son and uh, so we got there and when I walked into the church they had pews all the way and even the last pew was against the back wall of the church there was no place to to go around and it was available so I just flopped in there with my my little crew and I could look and see the pastor's uh, look on his face on the platform he was like you know you know way to get here late and uh, but I was like you know at least I'm here so we're sitting there, you know, kind of that deal. And all of a sudden, the, all the lights in the church go completely dark. And we're, we're sitting in darkness. You know, now you could still see. I don't mean total darkness like in a cave because the church had these stained glass windows on all the sides, uh, long ways. Still allowed some light in. But the, but the point was the church lights went out. Well, when they went out, everybody in the church started turning back and looking at us, at me and Jill. You know, and I'm looking at them like, what are y'all looking at us like? We just got here, you know. And finally, one of the deacons came back there. And right behind my head where I was holding my son was all the wall switches to the lights of the church. And Austin, with one sweep, had just wiped them all off <laughs> and put us in total darkness. And uh, so needless to say, that was embarrassing. We... Uh, that was a great way to start a revival at that church. Uh, wasn't my best foot forward. But what I want, just in my heart, this is what I felt to talk to you about today, is just waiting and waiting. You know, uh, I don't like to wait, and, and that's not true. I hate to wait. Uh, and I hate to wait on anything, really. I'm, I'm just not really a patient person. I confess that. Um, I don't think most of us are really good at waiting, and I want to talk to you about waiting, and, and I want to talk to you particularly about waiting on the Lord. Sometimes that's the toughest waiting at all, of all, and you're waiting on some things maybe that, you know, and there's probably a lot of us in here, you feel like God's given you promises. I still have promises, I believe, that are from the Lord that I'm still waiting to see uh, the fulfillment, or let me say sometimes the complete fulfillment of, of what I'm I feel like God has promised me. Now, the Bible's filled with promises. God promises not only you'll be saved, but your whole household will be saved. God promises you your family. God, God's got, you know, all these promises in his word. And, and the promises of God are, are things that we, we, we stand upon and believe upon. Uh, uh, you know, Jesus, and I won't read the scriptures for the sake of time here, but the last chapter of the book of Luke uh, uh, it tells us, you know, and I, and I grew up, a lot of times I heard preachers and churches say that the last words of Jesus was go. Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel. And, and they say that great commission statement, that's the last thing Jesus said. Well, that's not true. Uh, that's biblically not true, and it's very easily provable, but that's not true. Uh, the last words that Jesus said was not go, but was to wait uh, and, and it says that in Luke, uh, last chapter, and it also says that in the book of Acts, uh, the first chapter. And it says that, that Jesus told them, and in fact in Acts 1 it said he commanded them, 
to not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait on the promise of the Father. And he's talking about specifically the Holy Spirit, the, the, the manifested arrival of the indwelling presence of the, of the Trinity, of the Holy Spirit, indwell, not only being with man, but being in man. That's why Jesus had told them, his disciples, he said, it's your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit will not come. And he wasn't talking like the Holy Spirit wasn't in the earth, the Holy Spirit wasn't active, the Holy Spirit wasn't moving. He was just saying, this is a new covenant where the Holy Spirit will not only be with you, but he shall be in you. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon them at times, and then he would depart off of them. He would come upon Samson, and Samson could take a jawbone and destroy an army that was coming against him. He would come upon David, and David could prophesy and, and, and proclaim. And then that's why David in Psalm 51 prayed a prayer that you and I should not pray today. David said, oh Lord, you know, he was confessing his sin, and, uh, but he said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Well, that was appropriate for David in that time uh, period. But it is not appropriate for a believer today or any person today to say, Lord, take not the Holy Spirit, because God will not take the Holy Spirit from you. And I hope you believe that now and know that. Now, I did not know that as a young Christian. I thought the Holy Spirit come and went. I thought when I did good, he'd hang around. When I did bad, he went away. And, I, you know, it's like a revolving door. That's not true. The Holy Spirit has come, and, and he is with you, and he is in you, and he is for you. And that's important that you believe and know that, because that's the truth, and that's the word of God. But listen to me. Um, Jesus told them, he said, go in, you know, to Jerusalem. Don't depart from Jerusalem and, and wait. Uh, uh, wait for the promise. And, and we don't like to wait. Um, now, I don't know how much they really knew about and this sounds weird because they're Jewish people. I don't know how much they knew about the feast uh, as far as the timing because I see them really messing up with that. Uh, you remember when Jesus uh, come into Jerusalem on that baby donkey and, and, and they were crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Remember they were throwing palm branches and they were, uh, you know, they were really celebrating and Jesus started crying. He started weeping, which was totally out of, out of place because Tabernacles is the Feast of Joy. The problem was it was not tabernacles that Jesus was riding into. It was Passover. And he was literally going to be crucified on the day and the moment of Passover. And he was weeping because he said, you do not understand or know the time, he, this is how it's worded in the King James, of your visitation. In other words, you don't know the seasons. You, you don't know God's calendar. You don't know what's really going on here. You've got it really messed up. You're trying to go uh, advance fast forward to tabernacles when we're just in Passover. And so Jesus wept because they just did not know what was going on, and they missed that. So that lends me to believe that they probably wasn't really astute on the Jewish feast and tabernacles. They were under Roman dominion. They still had the temple. They had the synagogue. They, the, you know, the priests surely observed, but I don't know how much the people really knew what was going on. But the point is, Jesus had been resurrected, you know, from the tomb. He has walked among them and been seen of hundreds of people on a 40-day stretch of, of Jesus physically in his resurrected body walking the earth. And it was a wonderful time. He appeared to his disciples numerous times. He appeared to them while they were out fishing. And that's that great uh, scene we see with Peter and Jesus, you know, on the seashore there. He appeared to 500 plus at one time, the scripture says. He, he made many appearances. And then he tells them that he's going to leave and he's 
tells them to go wait until they're endued with power. The, need, the reason that they needed to wait and not go uh, is if you go before you get the power, there won't much happen. Okay? Now, you and I, when I was raised up in, 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 in my early years, we was raised in, and I, I mean no offense by this, we were raised in Pentecostal church. And even those old-timers, they would have what they called tarrying. They would tarry for the Holy Spirit, which is the King James word for wait. Um, and, and so they would, and so I would see people out there waiting to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't wait to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're filled with the Holy Spirit when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And, and God don't give you a, a, a little drop of the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. You may not be awakened to what you have, but you have it. And you have received the anointing. There's no place in the Bible that tells you in the New Testament, pray for the anointing. Paul always said, you have the anointing. There's no place in the New Testament that tells you or anybody ever prayed for the mind of Christ. So stop doing it. Just thank God that he's given you the mind of Christ. The Apostle Paul said, we have the mind of Christ, not we'll get it if we're good enough. So we, I spent decades praying for stuff that I didn't know I already had. And if you don't know you have it, you'll live and act like and believe that you don't have it. And you, really, you won't have it. It's not because you don't have it, but you're not functioning in it because you don't believe you have it. Somebody say amen. One thing I hate about waiting, I, I hate this whole deal like hurry up and wait. Anybody like hurry to wait? You hurry to get somewhere, and then when you get there, you have to wait. And I'm like, why did we hurry then? But you have to get there, you know, like we went out to eat that night, and a lot of times we like to take the grandbabies or something, and, and we went to and met my youngest son and his fiance at the roadhouse. So we done figured out that you can call ahead. I shouldn't tell you all this because I don't want no competition. But you can do call-ahead seating on that deal on your app or call-ahead, and you can tell them you're going to be there at 7.15, which was our time Friday night. And, and we said, you know, table for, for uh, five of us. And when you get there, there's people just everywhere. People all outside waiting everywhere. Everybody's waiting. And you, and you, you text them and tell them you own the property and your party's there. And, man, it ain't long, boy. They call you and tell you come to the desk. And you come to the desk, and they say, go stand on number one. And you just bypassing all these people. You know, makes you feel important. Like I have been chosen. <laughs> I'm important, and 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 you and so it's a great thing. So in Valdosta on Friday night, you better have a plan like that, or you're going to be waiting an hour most everywhere you go. And so you know, but you you got to hurry and get there so that you can wait. And and a lot of times we're waiting on things, and so these people were told to go wait. They go wait. I don't know that those. Uh, disciples knew that they was going to be waiting 10 days. It depends on how well they knew the feast, okay? Because the Holy Spirit came when, on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost, uh, it means 50. The number literally means 50. How uh, I many knows there were no Pentecostal churches when this happened? Nothing wrong with that today, but it literally means 50. When you say, I'm Pentecostal, you're literally saying, I'm 50. And... Uh, but so 50 days following uh, the, the, you know, Passover, uh, first fruit, and in the resurrection, then you count, the Bible says, uh, seven weeks, and that's seven times 749, and on the following day is the Feast of Weeks, is what the Jews called it. And some, we called it the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, but the point is they're waiting for 10 days. Now, if I ask you where they waited, what would you say to me? The upper room, and you would be partially right. 
uh, they did wait, and the scripture does say they waited in the upper room. The upper room is a house. It's a very large house because the Bible said there's 120 people in there. Okay, uh, It was not the same room that they had the Last Supper, as it's called, where Jesus held Passover communion with his disciples. That was a much smaller upper room. But this is a large, large upper room. It may have uh, belonged to Aquila and Priscilla, which was a married couple that was very rich, that was involved with Paul's ministry. But irregardless, they were in the upper room, and that's in a home. Uh, the Bible says that they uh, remained in Jerusalem, and they were in the temple praising and magnifying God. So they were in the temple some, and they were in the upper room some. When the temple had services, they would come out of the upper room and go to temple. And they didn't miss the services, and then they would go back in the upper room and do what Jesus said and wait. The point is they waited 10 days. Now, how do you, you know, I want to answer a question, how do you wait? And, and maybe uh, whom do you wait with? Now, I want you to know that the Bible, I'm, I can read all this to you, but I'm trying to go quick. The Bible says in Acts 1, and it tells us exactly who was initially in that, the main core people in that upper room. And it names, it says in that room, and it names all 11 apostles minus Judas Iscariot, of course. So we've got 11 apostles, and it names them by name. And then it gives a comma, and it says, and Mary was there, the mother of Jesus. Now listen to me. This is the last time that she will be mentioned in the Bible, in the New Testament. She's not mentioned from that point forward. But this is the last time that there's any reference to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And it says she's in that upper room. Now, what I don't want you to miss is these are the, the disciples, and it goes to great length to emphasize that Mary's there and other women were there. And probably the other women that were there were those other two Marys that was hanging out at the foot of the cross. Now, what I want you to think about is if you're a mom, how much you love your kids. And I want you to think about somebody hurts your kid and abandons your kid when they, your kid needs them the most. I want you to think about someone that denies they even know your kid. That's who Mary was. And now all of these disciples that's up there in the upper room now, being all churchy, not really, but they're all the ones that abandon their son. Nowhere to be seen. And even John initially abandoned Jesus and forsook him. And somewhere around noon, John shows up. Very brave. Because what they do to him, they'll do to his disciples. So at the cost of possibly his life, he shows up. And of course, he's eventually by Jesus recognized. And Jesus turns the care of his earthly mom over to that disciple. The only one, by the way, that showed up. Now, I would say that Mary's got some relationship issues to work her way through. Would you, would you agree? How would you like to be hanging out? See, some people don't come to church here because they don't like who comes here and they're not talking about me. And I wish I was joking, but I'm not. I've had people leave the church in, in the past few months and they left because they were offended at somebody, some of y'all. See how bad y'all are? I don't mean that really, but. And I, t and I said to the couple, I said, what does that got to do with me being your pastor? I said, I wish you would had told me instead of just coming and tell me you're leaving and you're leaving because of XYZ person, why, why didn't you give me an opportunity to mediate this thing or try to, you know, like be pastor <laughs> and get his kids to love one another again and work it out? Why? Well, I don't know. 
But that happens sometimes, you know. And it breaks my heart. But what can you do, you know? Um, but I bet Mary had some problems. I, I, just, I just know she's human. That's her kid. You can say what she won't do is Jesus. I mean, she gave birth to him. She raised him. She loved him. Man, she's a brave woman. She's standing right at the foot of the cross while he's being crucified. She was there for her son. She done lost her husband years and years ago. So I'm just saying that if Mary can go to church and hang out in the upper room and with people that abandon her son, you can get over yours too. And I can get over mine. Okay? Um, it had to be tough on her. I'm sure all them 11 disciples didn't all, as we say in the South, G-Hall on everything with each other. I don't think a lot of them probably were super proud of Peter. Cursing, pulling curses down, abandoning Jesus, and saying, I know not the man. I don't think they really thought, well, that was really good, Peter. We appreciate you doing that. But they loved him. They went after him when he went back to fishing and said, I'm not worthy to be a disciple anymore. It was an amazing group. And then we don't see the rest of the who the 120 were, but it was a room full of people, and they had real people, and they got real problems. Real chaos was going on. They didn't understand a lot of things theologically. I mean, their Savior, Messiah, the one they had waited, hoped, believed for, has been crucified, buried, and, and, uh, and, and he's gone away now, gone, been ascended back. And, and they're pretty excited about, you know, getting to see him, but they don't really know what's ahead. How did they wait? The Bible says they waited in the upper room with prayer and supplication. We don't use the word, we use the word prayer, we don't use the word supplication. Supplication just literally means intensive, fervent prayer. I mean, when it's coming from your belly, you're praying. Now, he told them to go and not to depart Jerusalem, until they were, until the, and wait for the promise of the Father. Now, what I want to say to you, are you waiting on anything that Father's promised you? I, I really would, I mean, it's okay. Now, I'm still, I'm going to lay my hand first. I'm, I'm literally waiting on some promises to be fulfilled that Father has given me. Some many years ago that I'm yet to see. Is anybody beside me waiting on something from God? You're wait, you can say you're waiting. Well, that, that's pretty much the whole room. Waiting can be tough. And if you don't learn to wait well, maybe you quit waiting. Uh, maybe you give up. Now, how did they wait? They, it says they waited, and it wants us to see that they're waiting, and it says with prayer and supplication, and it says with one accord. Now, I think it probably took them a little bit to get to one accord. And one accord means they're not in a Honda car, right? I'm sorry for that joke. But <laughs> no offense to the Honda car drivers. Uh, but the, one, the word one accord means one harmony. It's like the, when the musician strikes a chord, a C chord or a G chord or an F chord, that, they, they have to mash all the right things on the guitar or the piano or it sounds horrible. It's not in harmony. And so that means that those 120 people had somehow reached some level of degree of harmony. I like to check the video out when I get to heaven. I bet you that they were some people that went to one another, maybe with tears, and said, maybe to Mary, and said, Mary, 
I'm sorry for abandoning your son. I should have been there for you and for him. Please forgive me. And I bet Mary did. I bet she did. I, I think it took them a while to get there. And sometimes it takes us a while to get there uh, in that harmony with people. It, it does. You know, some people you just dearly love, but you don't want to hang out with them. <laughs> you, am, am I stupid or is that? The church used to put off a guilt thing on this, like, you know, everybody just said not going to be in harmony. Some people are very volatile. Some, even if they got your own, like, genetic blood running through them, sometimes you just can't, it's just not a safe environment. It just isn't, and sometimes that can make you feel guilty because they're like, like your family, and you, I feel like I should be this and I should be that. Well, sometimes that's maybe not on you, but you can still love them, and I'm sure you would still go, go for them and go to them if they really needed something, and sometimes you just have to do that, and you wish it could be like this or like it used to be or that or that or whatever. Sometimes it just is not like that, and don't carry undue guilt and wait. It's not from God. They're in harmony. They're in prayer. So how do you and I wait when we're waiting on God? You do it the same way. You pray. What do you pray about? You pray about what he promised you. Now see, in, in, in 1 Kings, God spoke to Elijah the prophet and said, go, yourself, go show yourself to Ahab the king and I will send rain upon the earth. Now just reading that, we don't know. But if you go to the New Testament now and you pull out of the book of James, it tells us that it had not rained on the earth for three and a half years. I see people around here go without rain three months, and they'll they'll feel they'll they'll call for prayer for rain in this in our area that we live in. They do that. They've done that before. Um, you know, meet us out at the football stadium. We're going to pray for rain, and there's nothing wrong with that, and that's great. Um, the reason they're praying for rain because they need it and they want it. Okay, the Bible says pray for rain in the time of rain. What does that verse mean? You pray for rain when you need it because that's that's the time of rain. Pray for rain in the time of rain. Because if you're not having any, you need it, that's when you pray. Well, why don't God just send it? I don't know. Well, this is not, what you got to understand, this is not abracadabra magic kingdom. A lot of the church, what they want is magic from God. They want to come up front, wave the wand, abracadabra, and there you go. Have a nice life. It's not that way. This is not heaven. This is not heaven. So Jesus said, I want you to pray that my will would be done on earth like it is in heaven. I want you to pray for that. There's a man here today, and I'm not going to call you, you out right this moment, but you, you're, you're here. I could call you out. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you're part of the house of grace or you just here. I, don't, I do not know, sir. But I saw you in my dream last night. You're on, you're, you're on my right. You're sitting. I'm just going to nail you on this side so it'll help you maybe to build your faith a little bit. But in my dream, I saw you, and I saw the Lord walk up to you, and he handed you a steering wheel. It looked like a steering wheel from a car or a truck. He handed it to you. And he said to say to you that you have struggled with his will. You have struggled to do his will in your life. 
Sir, I am going to ask you to stand up. You got your cap on. You're sitting on the back row. Stand up right there. Would you stand up, sir? Brother, I don't know you. I don't know nothing about you. And I will say to you that I'm human and can be wrong. But I don't believe I am by the Spirit of the Lord. And you've had trouble and you've struggled a long time, all your life, with the will of the Lord. Come here, buddy. Come here. I wasn't going to do it like this, but I work for someone, so he's in charge, not me. Um, I don't know nothing about you, where you're from, and that don't matter in this moment. But I just want to tell you that I, I love you. And I feel like in my dream last night, I saw you. And I saw the Lord take a steering wheel, and he handed it to you. And he said to tell you that you have struggled for a long time, many years, with his will for your life. God says he loves you. And I don't know if you're old enough like me, but I remember the time before uh, there was power steering. And you old enough remember that? Yeah. And sometimes you, you had to have muscles turn them wheels. It was pretty, it was pretty challenging. Uh, but now we got power steering. And God just told me to tell you that his power is in you and with you and for you. And he has given you uh, the wheel, which is his will. It's a play on words. And this is how God communicates with me a lot of times concerning things. But God has given you the ability with ease by the power of his power, not yours, not your tenacity, not your willpower, not, it ain't you, my brother. And so the Lord has handed you his will. And you're going to be able to turn into it. And you're going to find yourself turning that wheel into his wheel. You're going to find things lining up now in your life like they never have before. I'm not saying you ain't going to ever have a trouble or a struggle. But you've, you've just entered into a new moment with the Lord. You believe that? Amen. Bless you, buddy. <clears throat> The Lord has to show me pictures because I'm a simple guy. I'm so excited for that man. And uh, as he turns into the will of the Lord and drives into what God's got for him, I'm so excited for him. I love you, brother. Thank you for letting me put you on the spot like that. But uh, Where was I? <laughs> Anybody remember? I'm serious. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Elijah was told by God, go sow yourself to Ahab and I'm going to send rain. Sometimes we think when God gives us a promise, all we got to do is lay back in the recliner and just God's going to do it. But for some reason, it doesn't happen that way. And that's because that you're in the earth that he's given to men and he's in heaven that belongs to him. And you have authority here that you don't realize and that authority is expressed through prayer and faith in him. And what you do pray and what you do say matters greatly more than you probably and I probably realize or know. So the prophet Elijah knew that. And even though God said, I'm going to send rain. And I want to tell you, rain was critical because it had not rained in the earth for three and a half years. In that. And so then Elijah goes into a cave and it says that he put his uh, face between his knees. Why do we care? And he begins to pray. Well, that 
position is the oriental position of childbirth, of birthing something. So the prophet goes in. He's got a promise from God that God's going to send rain. Nobody has seen no rain. Nobody has seen no rain in three and a half years. And when you're praying against the odds, when you're praying against the diagnosis, when you're praying against something called terminal, you hear the train backing me up right now. When you're praying against those things, sometimes it is tough to wait on that promise to be manifested. But the prophet puts his head between his knees and said, in prayer, I'm about to birth something here and what I'm going to birth is God's promise I'm going to birth in what God spoke in the heavens I'm going to manifest it in the earth I'm going to take God's promise to me he said he's going to send rain I know you ain't got no rain I know all the meteorologists are saying it's not going to rain I know know all that I know what the doctor said I know what the report is I know what the banker said but I'm telling you I'm going to believe what God said I'm going to believe in the promise of God and he begins to pray and then not only does he pray But he makes his prayer active. So he prays. What's he praying for? He's praying for what God's promised. He's praying for rain. He's got his servant. He says, you know, uh, it's almost like you bother me, son. Go look for a cloud. You know, well, I got to pray here. So he goes to pray and go look. You know, the story comes back. He said, you see anything? He said, I didn't see anything. He said, well, go look again. And he just keeps on praying. Well, how long do you pray until it manifests? You do what they did in the upper room. When you have a promise to wait on something from Father, just pray. You pray that. Don't give up. Don't faint. Don't relinquish the hope that's in your heart. Just pray. And after going seven times, he finally comes back and says, I see a, you know, but let me, let me back up. Even before that, before he went, I, Elijah made this statement. I always love this. He, he, said, he said, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Now, this is before he starts sending the servant. But in his spirit, he said, and I preached the message many years ago because something out of that just came. And, I, and the title was, it, Do You See What I Hear? Can you see with the eyes of faith what I hear in my spirit? Do you see what I hear? Uh, Elijah said, I, I hear the sound. I, I, I smell rain. You, anybody ever, anybody from the country, you know what I mean when you say, I can smell rain? You'd be like, I, they, my, they say, I smell rain coming. I, I, we need some people in the spirit to just, in the spirit, say, I, I smell rain coming. I don't care what's going on in this world. I, I still smell rain coming. I smell the presence of God coming. I smell a move of God coming. I, I smell God sweeping across this country and nation with the move of His Spirit. I, I, I hear the sound in my heart and my spirit. I hear the sound of the abundance, not, not barely getting by, but the abundance of rain. That's how you know it's from Papa. It ain't just make it this to next week or make it to this week. No, it's abundance. He's the God of more than enough. I, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. And, and, and I believe that's something that was working inside him. He said, I, 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 I hear this in my spirit. I know I look crazy. I know my prayers are crazy. I know there's it drought everywhere you look. People are always talking about what this, this is dying, this is dying, this is dead. There ain't no rain, there ain't no hope, there ain't no future. But he said, I don't believe that. God told me that he's going to send rain on this earth. I'm going to participate with that. I'm going to co-labor with him. 
I'm going to get in the position of birth. I'm going to put my head between my knees. And it ain't to kiss my behind goodbye. But it's to say a prayer to the Heavenly Father. And say, God, I know you're going to do it. I don't know how. I don't know when. But I'm going to wait on you until that rain begins to fall. I'm going to wait on the promise. I'm going to wait on the Father. And I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to shut up. I'm not going to give up. But I'm going to keep believing God that God can, will, and has done it in the spirit and we're going to see it on the earth can you say amen I hate to say it that way but that's what the world tells you you know they say you're on the plane and it's going down you know put your head between your legs and kiss that part goodbye no we're not kissing nothing goodbye you see me putting my head between my legs just to say a prayer to papa and say God let me burst something in the earth that will be manifested that will change not only my life but the life of those around me so sometimes you got to do that. Sometimes I've told you this before that in the book of Luke, the first chapter, there was a couple there. And sometimes we don't understand why God don't do it quicker. You know, I found out with God that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and God owns everything with the exception of a watch. God does not have a watch. He don't wear one. He don't have one. I grew up in church here in the Brother Dale, the Lord's always on time. And I've gone through frustrations in my life, and I got where I got bold enough to say, yeah. They say, he's always on time. I say, but he never early. They say, never late. Lord, never late, Brother Dale. Be encouraged. Lord, never late. I said, he never early. I want him to come early one time. I want him to shock me with his early you know, arrival on something that I've prayed. It doesn't seem like that happens very often. He has done that. Why, 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 why do we have to wait? I told you how to wait. You wait in prayer. You wait in supplication. You wait in the temple with people maybe sometimes you have trouble with. Wait in the temple. You wait in your house, in your upper room. Any room you're praying to God in, in your home is an upper room. So wait in the house. Wait in the temple. Don't give up meeting with people at the church. Don't give up on the temple. Wait with them. You may not like some of them. Some of them might have denied your son. Some of them might have hurt your feelings. Be mature in the Lord. Know that this right here is not a pristine chapel, but this is a hospital. And it is filled with hurting, sick, broken, bruised people, which is us. And hurting people, sometimes non-intentionally, will hurt people because they're hurting themselves. They're hurting I've been a paramedic. I was a paramedic for 20 years. I can't even begin to tell you all the things I've been to. And that a lot of times those people were hurting terribly. And they would be rude to me. <laughs> and I'm there trying to save their life. I'm trying to help them. I've been cussed out, hit, all kinds of things. But I knew in that moment these people are hurting. They're in tremendous pain. They don't really know what's going on. It wasn't my job to go to that call as a paramedic with my feelings on my sleeve. It was to go there. I'm going for them. This ain't about me. This is to help somebody that maybe is in so much pain they ain't even seeing straight. This church is filled with people that are hurting, and I'm glad. And we're all in process of being healed, delivered, and set free. And we may not get everything just right, but we got a papa that loves his kids. And this is a hospital. Amen? Just love them. Amen? And, and, and can I say to you that the people like me that are doing the ministry, 
are still in the hospital too. And we're still being processed and going through things and dealing with life and stuff. And, and so sometimes we, you know, I'm the most patient. I'm the sweetest thing you ever seen. Preach it, Jill. Come on, baby. Talk to me. I'm the sweetest thing you ever seen. And then sometimes it's like my fuse is so short and I'm so stressed out. And, you know, oh, Lord, you know, it's like Jerry Clower said in, you know, coon hunting store, just shoot up here in the tree amongst us. Either shoot me or the, or the raccoon. One of us has got to have some relief. Just shoot up here. I feel that way sometimes. I don't care. Just shoot the tree, man. I mean, get this off me or get me off it. I don't know which is, you know. Hey, listen, I'm real. It's just life. Now, sometimes, like in the Luke 1, you know, we, we, we want God to move quick. And, and sometimes people say, well, why, why, why does God make us wait? That would be like a, a, a mom that has been uh, diagnosed now that she's pregnant. She ha- she, she's pregnant. She has a child. There's no sign. There's no outward sign. The ultrasound or whatever had to reveal or the test of whatever type revealed that you're pregnant. You know, when that doctor says you're pregnant, you know what he just did? He gave her a promise. You have a promise. Now, your promise is to one day hold a child in your arms, a child. Well, why do we have to wait nine months? Why can't I just go ahead and get my baby now? Because the baby wouldn't live. It needs time to grow. Sometimes what God has promised you is going to be wonderful and beautiful when it gets here, but it needs time to grow. And maybe, maybe you need time to grow so that you can handle it when it gets here. Maybe that this on the inside that that promise. See, when that baby's inside there, it's going to take nine months typically for that baby to be come to the place that it can actually endure this environment. But let me tell you what's happening during that nine months. It's learning to recognize your voice. The voice of the dad and the mom is being, and, and they've even scientifically proven that, and they, they teach people now how to talk to their baby in the womb. I've seen shows where they're teaching them, you know, parents are already trying to get them to do math in the womb. Two plus two is four. And they, <laughs> where they come out, you know, being a mathematician or something. But the point is that that baby is learning the voice of their father and their mother and the ability to recognize it and to be attracted to it and drawn to it. That mom and dad is learning to love what they yet cannot see nor yet can behold in their arms. But the day comes that you will hold that child. How many times over my many years have I, very few times, but it's happened, and many of you have witnessed it, where the Lord has said to people, you shall have a child. One of the first times it ever happened in my life was Pastor Junior Dees in the, in the Adel and his wife, Laura. And she was told by three different gynecologist, OBGYN specialist, that, and her, the, her exact words to me as her pastor when they were just little young married people was, it is the, the doctor, the last one she went to, because she just would not accept that she couldn't be a mom. She had such a deep desire to have a child. And she just couldn't accept that she wouldn't have one. And, and uh, so she just kept going to these specialists. So the third one said this to her to stop the madness. He said, it is impossible anatomically for you to conceive and carry and give birth to a child. Just not going to happen. I'm sorry. Um, when it got to that level, 
Of course, they shared that with me, her and her husband. They were not in ministry. They're just a young couple going to a little church in Sparks called Cornerstone. And so we would pray for them from time to time. In other words, they would ask for prayer or they would be somebody speaking and giving special prayer and Junior and Laura would come forward and we would lay hands on them and we would pray and believe for that, that baby. I, I encouraged her in it because I said, God said he would give you the desires of your heart. Do you have a desire for a child? Yes, sir. No, sir, do you have a desire for a child? Yes, sir, Junior. I said, well, God's going to give you this desire or you wouldn't have the desire. Don't give up. I said, do you have a nursery fixed in your home? I was younger and bolder, or either dumber, I don't know which. But I literally did this. I said, do you have a nursery fixed in your house for the baby? They said, no. I said, well, you don't believe it then. Because I was listening to a lot of Brother Hagen tapes about that time, so I was, I was pretty tough on that. I said, you don't believe it then, because if you really believe you was going to have a baby at some point, you'd already have your nursery ready. I said, if you want a baby, get a nursery. Where are you going to put it? Kitchen? Fix a nursery. You know what they did? They was dumb enough because they had a dumb pastor to go and fix the nursery in their house. To the shock and offensiveness to both sets of parents. That, I, that, that did not endure, and their parents didn't go to my church, but that did not make the parents on both sides, his or hers, love me. They was like, I, don't believe, I can't believe he, he did that. I can't believe that he would tell you to do that. How cruel that's going to be if you don't have a kid. You have to break that nursery down. Uh, you know, how, how sad is that? And so I just stood on it. And I said, won't you just stand over that bed and pray for the promise? And they told me, their own words, that they would stand night after night, day after day, and they put their hands out over the baby bed, had a baby bed already in there, and they would say, Lord, thank you for the baby you're sending us. We thank you for the baby you're sending us. And they did it privately, just husband and wife in their own home. They came to church back in Sunday. We had Sunday night in those days. Y'all remember when we was really saved and had Sunday night service? <clears throat> and so I just remember on that Sunday night, and I'm just telling you a story, and i got to do this quick. I, it was Sunday night. I don't remember if I had got through preaching or was in the middle of preaching like I ministered this man or whatever. But I, all I remember is I looked back to this right side, and there it looked like a – it's going to sound weird. Can I – you know, I hope you know I'm not weird. I'm a little weird, but not. But I <laughs> thank you, Howard. Uh, but I saw a shaft of light, just like in my. I don't know if it's spiritually or it had to be spiritually. I guess nobody else didn't seem to see. I saw like a light over Laura, and I just said, Laura, would you would you come up here? I want to pray for you. I, I don't know how I need to pray when you see. No, I just saw come over. And so we had a little bitty platform there in that little old church. And so she, when she stood up there, I, it was just one step for me. But I stepped off the platform. But I actually stepped into that light, and I didn't see. I lost sight of anything or anybody in the room. And and when I when I did that, I saw what I describe as a Cherokee white rose, and it went, it just bloomed full instantly, right in my face. And I heard the Lord say, "Thou shalt bring forth a child," and 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 so I just began to say what God said, and it was all recorded, by the way. Uh, and given to them after the service. So I prophesied to them, which is 1 Corinthians 12, a gift of the Holy Spirit. Has nothing to do with making me look spiritual or something. It's for that couple that's loves, that God loves. And, um, and, and so I, they were given the tape, and the prophecy said they would have a child. Um, and so uh, 
I remember I was gone somewhere within three weeks of that prophecy. Me and Jill come home one Sunday, one night, and the, you know, back when you had to answer machines that would blink, you know, and said you got a message. And I mashed the message, and, and Junior's wife at that time was so timid. Some of y'all that knew Lord, so timid and shy, you know, reserved. And, and on the message, all it said was, I mashed play, and it said, Brother Dale, this is Laura. I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> and she hung up. That's all she said. Of course, I called, and Junior and them were ecstatic. She was pregnant. And in fact, she went to the doctor and got it confirmed, and in those days, they did a different type of test, some little some mechanism, something, you know, more than the strips, I think they do now. But anyway, more of a lab-type test. And Laura asked, Laura asked, could she have it? And her, her uh, um, uh, junior's dad and mom worked at a grocery store in town. Uh, and so she went, they went there and went into the grocery store where they worked. Uh, junior's dad managed and ran that whole grocery store. And they went in there and, and held that up to them and said, I'm pregnant. You know, I'm pregnant. And they told the other parents, you know, we're, we're pregnant, we're, you know, pregnant. Just so excited. Our church, you know, the, the faith of our church, you could just feel it, you know, it just went sky high. And then people started believing for all kinds of stuff, you know, just because that happened to her. They got to see it three weeks later, she's pregnant. But, you know, three doctors said she can't be, whatever. So then we're going along, and I'm just telling you this. And I wish I could live in these days sometimes, um, you know, but, but I was awakened one morning at 530, and this was months later, six months later. And she's pregnant, we're outside of Hallelujah Jesus. And, and, and I was awakened, and, and I, I believe the Lord spoke to me and said that the enemy would attempt to take the child's life. And he gave me some scripture, a promise. And at 5.30, I was awake, and I was literally writing down what God said concerning the baby. And I remember I had prophesied over Junior a few weeks prior to that. Uh, it was it was about his job that he would literally change jobs and step from one job to another job and never miss a paycheck, and that also they would be a test. I said I had no clue what I was prophesying. I had no clue it had nothing to do with no baby, especially the baby we had prayed for. And it said they would be a test, but but uh, but do not uh, faint or lose heart during the test, for it shall come to fulfillment just as God has promised. I had no clue that that prophecy would be concerning the baby. At 5.30, I was awake, and I was writing what the Lord said, and Junior called my home and said, Brother Dale, I just want to tell you that Laura's in an ambulance. She's gone into premature labor. They're rushing her to, to Macon, uh, Macon, where they have a neonate intensive unit. And I, I just want you to pray for us. So we, you know, we're in trouble here. They're saying the baby, if, if she has the baby, it probably won't live. Uh, I, there was another guy in my church that was a prophet. I got him with me, and we loaded up, and we took off to Macon. And by the time we got there, of course, they had gotten things done. And when I got there, the baby was already born. Uh, she weighed less than two pounds, covered in little downy hair, just looked like you, could, you literally could put the baby in one hand. I was a paramedic, y'all. I, I know what that deal is. When I walked into the room, I'll never forget this. Junior was standing there with a tape player, cassette player. Tears run down his face. And he had those prophecies. He had the initial one that I prophesied the baby, and he had the second one that there would be a test and don't faint. And he was playing those cassette tapes for every nurse, doctor, or anybody that would come in the room and listen to them. And he would tell them, regardless of what they told him, that that baby would live and not die. 
in that moment, I hated prophecy. Can I say that? You may not understand that. But that's because you ain't never prophesied somebody and you see it totally opposite of what you said and you wish you was just a good old nice evangelical preacher. Three points in a poem on how to get saved and let's go home eat chicken. Why you got to do this mess? The Bible says despise not prophesying. Now I know why that verse is in there. Because it's very easy at times to despise prophesying. And then I got this guy here so full of faith, he's down there playing my tapes. I can't deny this on cassette. I can't say, well, no. This is what you prophesied. So he's doing all that. I go to the nursery, tubes everywhere, in that little bitty, downy hair covered little girl. And they said if, he, if she lives 24 hours, then that'll be a gigantic hurdle to get through. Probably won't. The nurses came to me when I was standing there looking through the glass, and she said, Pastor, I just want you to be prepared so you can minister to them. But the baby's not going to live. We don't see them live when they're like this. I said, well, I appreciate that. Made it through 24 hours. Then they said 48 hours is a big-time milepost. We made it through 48. The baby stayed in the hospital for three months. She lived. She lives today. Her name is Amanda. Uh, and we have a special connection just because of all that. And her mom and dad, of course, told her those stories. I call her my Cherokee Rose. She will still have birthdays on Facebook, and I will say happy birthday. Uh, sometimes I just put CR because she knows what it means, and sometimes I'll write Cherokee Rose. Or either she replies or texts or sends anything to me. She always signs it Cherokee Rose or your Cherokee Rose. And that's how Amanda communicates with me. And uh, God did what he said he would do. And, and uh, they put it on the front page of the ADL News when she was one year old, and she turned one year, and they gave that whole testimony of the miracle uh, that happened. And, uh, and so then, all of a sudden, then both sets of parents, they started coming to my church and, uh, and were members all their lives, as long as I was there. And uh, I've seen God come through there, and I've seen him do that many a time, where it didn't look like the promise was going to happen, but it did. And my whole goal is, number one, to be obedient to the Lord, but to encourage you. Don't give up. I know the Father has promised you things. He's promised them some, maybe not didactically, and you've been called out and spoken prophetically over. But I want to tell you, he's given you a, a, a word from his word, from the scriptures, and you've stood on that promise. How do you wait? Wait in prayer. Wait in supplication if need be. Wait with people that believe God with you. Wait in the temple. Wait in the upper room. Don't give up. Keep meeting in the house. Keep meeting in the temple. Keep believing for your promise to come. When it don't look like there's ever going to be no rain, keep believing for rain. The rain's coming. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. One thing I know about God is he always says he has saved the best wine till the last. He always said that the, the former rain and the latter rain will come together and, and, the, and the greatest rain will come in the end. When you get old like me, sometimes you begin to want to dial down 
and just say, well, this. And, but I don't believe that my life nor my ministry, tell them I call them back, or anything else will end in defeat. I just can't believe that because that's not who Papa is. I want you to stand with me physically, but I want you to stand with me as a promise. Do, 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 do you know one of the promises God gave me when I first started to even begin to conceive about pastoring a church was in March of 1990. It's from the Word of God, from the prophet Isaiah. And in that whole chapter, God spoke to me. One of the things that God said was, he said that, that you will come to a place in Scripture there. He's speaking this prophetically. But he says that the people would say to you, give, give space that we may dwell, for this place is too small. And he's, the prophet says, and I would say in my heart, where did these come from, seeing that I was left alone? But the Lord would say, that I have caused your sons and your daughters to be brought in their arms, and I shall bring them from the north and the south and the east and the west, and they shall come bearing your sons and daughters. And, 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 and God has always, that's one of the promises that I'm still waiting to, but I believe that there, there's literally, now I've lived that already. I lived it at Sparks. I lived it when we was in the little building and said, this place is too small for us. We cannot uh, keep doing, uh, you know, so we build a big family life center. It would actually, if we needed it to, seat 500 people. Uh, but I don't believe that that's the end of that. I believe that in my ear, in this house, dwells the hope and possibility that you can say to me, this place is too small for us. Give us space that we may dwell. I don't believe that the time, whatever you want a terminology you want to use for it, revival, which is not necessarily a scripturally appropriate word, but we use it in the South, evangelicals, kingdom, so I'll say it. But I, 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 believe, I don't believe America's going out like this. I believe what the Bible says, that the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters do cover the sea. I believe that the, the, the greatest move of God, I believe what Paul Cain, you don't know him, some of you may, prophesied that he saw, and he's still alive, and I, I've heard him give this in person, that he saw, and many prophets have confirmed that they saw the same thing. This was back in the, in, the, in the early 90s. They saw every stadium in the United States field, not watching the Dallas Cowboys or, the, or any football team, nothing wrong with that, but they saw the stadiums filled with people because there was no facility that could hold the people of the move of God that was going. And they said that they saw preachers, and none of them were famous. It was nameless, faceless speakers and preachers, and it was a nameless, faceless group and the move of God was going and news reporters were there and they were reporting to people being healed and, and the things that was happening and, and, and it was a, a tremendous move and, he, and, and they prophesied. I, I don't have, I, God didn't tell me that but I believed what, what I heard, it, it witnessed with me and I believe the day comes that we'll, America will see that kind of move of God where the stadiums will be filled. And the greatest attraction and the greatest joy will not be a sporting event or not be any kind of other thing. It'll be the move of the holy God moving among his church and through his church into this world and showing and demonstrating the kingdom of God and his love for his people. I believe that's how this thing's going to wind up. Now, I hope to live long enough to see it. And I hope to live long enough to be a participant in it. 
and part of it. I've seen some amazing things in my life. I've seen gold dust rain down. I've seen wonderful things that cannot be explained. Signs and wonders. Signs that made me wonder. And, it, and, it, and those signs and wonders filled my church to capacity with people that was hungry for a move of the Spirit of the Lord. You be encouraged today. And this message I really kind of mainly preach for me. I hope you got something out of it too. But I needed it. And I needed to hear my ears hear me say it. Believe for the promise. Wait for the promise. Wait for it. Don't give up. Last thing, God just reminded me, a little theology. The word wait in the Old Testament is not like America's. America thinks this is how you wait. You sit there and you wait. What are you doing? I'm waiting. No, you're not. Not biblically, you're not. The, the Hebrew word is quav, and it means to bind a three-prong, three, like making a rope. Take three cords and wind them together. You can make more than three, but winding them together. You're waiting. When Kristen was little, my daughter, when she was like five, six, seven, Jill a lot of times would braid her hair in the back and make this three hairs, and, down, and we'd be trying to go to church, and in the other room I could hear the horror of going on. And the screaming and Jill saying, be still, Kristen. And, and Kristen's griping and fussing. And, and, and why? Because she don't see what's going on. It, everything that's happening is behind her. But when Mama got through, finally got that hair wove together. Then, you know, get the, oh, that's beautiful, Mama. Well, it was bloody stuff to get it done here. But we got it done. But she couldn't see. Sometimes in your life, my life, we can't see what's going on because it's going on in a realm that you can't naturally see in. It's going on behind you. But God's working while you're waiting. There's things being woven into position, woven into your life. So just, just know that even though you can't see it, God's working it. And that's literally what the word means. So in the Old Testament, when it, over and over it says, wait on the Lord. I could have read you 15 verses just out of Psalms about admonition. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Don't be moved by those that prosper, those that do evil schemes. Sometimes when you're waiting on God to bless you financially, all you can see is heathens just got money running out the gazuba. And you can't figure out, here you are trying to serve God, and they got money just hanging out the britches. And you can't, you can't hardly pay your bills. And it makes you mad and you get upset. God says, when you're waiting on me, don't get focused on those that prosper and, and, and evil scheming and all that stuff. Because that's going to come to nothing. Be based, wait on the Lord. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Sometimes you're flying. Sometimes you're running. But sometimes you just got just enough strength to put one foot in front of another and walk that thing out. It's called the walk of faith. Just walk it out. But who, who does that? Those that wait on the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. Your strength is going to be renewed. Wait on Him. Wait upon Him. There's work going on. Be encouraged. It ain't over yet. You still here, ain't you? Then wait. <laughs> wait on His promises. Okay? I love you guys. Can I pray for you? Then I'm going to dismiss you. Hey, if you need personal prayer, Please come up here. I'd be honored to pray for you. Listen to you, shake your hand, hug your neck, high five you, whatever you're comfortable with. Okay. Father, I thank you for the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit to wait. We're waiting, but something beautiful is about to be birthed. We're waiting on the promises that you've promised us. Some promises are many years old, but you're not one day old, Papa. 
And I pray that promise that these people believe in you for. I call for harvest and, and fulfillment and manifestation upon many of those promises that we, we can even in these next few weeks hear and share the testimonies of the fulfillment of that that you've promised. I believe it and thank you for it. In the mighty, powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Bless you guys. Love you.